Our scripture today comes from Psalm 121. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Very glad to have you this morning. I wanted to mention as well that if you're thinking about a next steps, uh, there's a card right in front of you. You can fill this card out. Eric mentioned before a box in the back where you can uh, drop off that, that card that was in the bulletin about small groups, our community groups. Uh, there's a box in the back that you can put those cards or this card if you would like to take another step. You'd like to learn what it is uh, to become a Christian or to be baptized or to become a member uh, or any number of things. If you'd like just prayer this week, we would love the opportunity to pray for you. There's a spot on the back for that. Uh, the elders would love to pray for you this week. So that's right in front of you. Through these double doors is the box that we were referring to. We're continuing in a series on the Psalms of Ascents. Uh, we just began this last week. And the, these Psalms, 15 Psalms in the middle of the Bible, give us a condensed version of the Christian journey, of the, of the march or the walk or the journey to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. Uh, metaphorically speaking, this was an actual uh, journey that the Israelites made up to three times per year to worship God. They would ascend, they would go up to Mount Zion, and this hymn book was perhaps some of the psalms that they sang as they went up there. But of course, more on the level of the, of, the, of the metaphor, the life with God is an ascent. We are called into Mount Zion, this journey that we have through life. And we began last week with Psalm 120, and we realized that our journey begins in distress. In my distress, I called to the Lord, woe to me, I, I journey in these unsafe places and then we begin to see that out of that distress in Psalm 121, the help of the Lord comes. And then the next psalm is about arrival and about coming to the Lord's house. And that pattern repeats throughout these psalms. So we're in Psalm 121 today, looking at the help that comes from the Lord. Let's pray before we dive in. Our great Father, we come to you asking you that you would show us wonderful things in your word. We know that your word does not return void. That whenever it is spoken, read, preached, it is effectual to whatever you want to do in the world. It will not return void. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. So as we give our attention to it this morning, I pray for your help. That you would give us light and life. That you would give us an energy and a desire to know you more. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So uh, last week, 
I was bathing my eight-month-old son, so I have four sons, uh, the last one after a gap of seven years. Uh, eight months old now, we're doing it again, and the, the kitchen sink bath is something that I was excited to bring back. We have like a farmhouse sink, so it's quite a big sink. He'll, he'll, he can probably be in there until he's like eight or nine or something. Um, so I'm bathing him in our kitchen sink, and I realized I just put him in. I, I just started filling up the water, and uh, there's just about an inch of water in there. I set him down in there. He's sitting up really well now, um, and I realized... I don't have a towel for him, and uh, no one else is around. I just am at home alone with my son, and so I realized I got to get a towel. I can get him out and like trail water everywhere, or I can just run real quick and get a towel. It's only an inch of water. I'm realizing right now that in the second service, I'm going to traumatize my wife with this story. Um, okay, very, very low risk, right? Uh, just 10 seconds down the hall to grab a towel. And so I decide, I'm just going to run and do that. And I come back, and it's fine, by the way. Everything, everything was fine. He was fine. He didn't fall over. He probably didn't even notice that I was gone. Small risk, but a risk. And my heart beat faster for a moment because for 10 seconds, I'm not watching my son anymore. And I know that he needs me. I know that he needs my help. And so I left him, however small of a risk, in an unsafe place. And it's a little bit of that risk that you, that you take on as you go do anything in this world. As you drive down the highway, you're taking a risk, aren't you? I mean, you're getting in the car, you're going somewhere just to the grocery store or something, but you realize that there's this Mack truck next to you, and it's literally like two feet from you, and you're moving 70 miles an hour. And, and there's a risk there, like what, what could happen and there's these moments, I feel like, where we realize our hearts beat faster when we realize just how seemingly unsafe we are, how vulnerable we are. What do we do with these vulnerabilities? What if I'm not able to keep myself safe? What if others who promise to keep me safe, parents, coaches, teachers, whatever it may be, what if they take their eyes off me? What if they let me down? And to bring it into our relationship with God, what about God? He says that He is near to me, but sometimes it feels like He's stepping away for 10 seconds or longer for years. And we feel forsaken. Like, who is watching over me? This is the question that's on the psalmist's mind as he writes Psalm 121. As he's looking for help, he's looking to be kept. Verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Why is he looking to the hills there's a few possibilities, but all of them have to do with the vulnerabilities 
that he may see there. Perhaps he's seeing the high places. If you know the story of the Old Testament, they always had this persistent problem of idolatry. They would walk away from Yahweh, the one true God, and oftentimes they would worship other gods in the high places. That was a literal term where they would go outside of the city of Jerusalem into the Judean mountains, and on those high places there would be altars to other gods, and they would worship them there. And so perhaps the high places, when he looks to the hills, he's saying to himself, I've looked to the hills in the past. I've gone up to the high places, and I haven't found the help that I needed. It's possible. Perhaps he sees the vulnerability of what the hills represent. With Think about a, an army cresting the hills of a mountain and Israel being down in the valley. To see troops come down would to, be, to see an invasion What would help us if enough armies surrounded Jerusalem? Perhaps he sees the dangers of robbers in the hills. As the Israelites would travel through these hills, there would be robbers who hide out in the pits and they would would attack and steal. If you're familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, you know about this concept. The robbers would hide in the hills as they... As this, good Samar- as this um, Israelite goes through, he is beaten and robbed and left for dead. No matter what, the hills are a place of uncertainty and vulnerability. A place where you're not really sure what the outcome is going to be and it's out of your control. So he looks to the hills and he asks, where does his help come from? What do I do with my vulnerability, my help, he says, the conclusion Just like last week we saw, there's kind of a conclusion within the psalm. It doesn't mean that you have reached that conclusion. It doesn't mean that you have felt this the way that the psalmist has. But he's gotten enough perspective to say, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And this is what he's going to teach us about. That God can do for you what no one else can. Keep a loving and constant watch over you. God can do what no one else, no thing else, no program else, no person else can do. Keep a loving and constant watch over you. There is no help like the help of the Lord is his conclusion. As we sing about in the hymn, Abide With Me, when other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless Abide with me. God is the help of the helpless. This is the theme of the psalm. It's easy to see what this psalm is about. Six times in these short eight verses, the word keep or kept is used. And ten times, the second person singular plural uh, pronoun is used, you. Keep, keep, you, you. Six times, ten times, The theme is, you are kept. You are kept by God. How are we kept by God? Well, my points this morning match up so well with another uh, famous hymn that I'm using them as the points this morning. Oh, worship the king. If you know that old hymn, there's a verse where it says, uh, frail children as dust and feeble as frail. In thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender how firm to the end, my maker, defender, 
redeemer, and friend. And I don't know if he was looking at Psalm 121 when they wrote that psalm, that hymn, but those line up very well. The maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. This is what God is to us. This is how he helps us. First, he is our maker. Look at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The God who made heaven and earth, in other words, is the same God who helps people in real time. And this makes total sense if you think about it. The Scripture does not ever picture God as some kind of divine watchmaker, right? Some kind, of, uh, some kind of God who creates everything and then steps away and watches how it unfolds. This is not the way the Scripture presents God. He is the God of providence, meaning He has an active hand in His creation. He continually, sovereignly rules over creation. And so the logic that the psalmist first takes comfort from is that he says, the maker of heaven and earth helps me. If he made heaven and earth, and if I believe the story of Genesis 1 and following, if I believe that I am his special creation, that that when he saw man and woman, he said, very good. That it doesn't make sense for him to make this special creature unto himself and then to do nothing to help them. If you remember, Jesus in the New Testament used the same logic where he says, comfort to his people, he says, consider the birds. They don't sow or reap or have barns. And God feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Consider the lilies. They neither spin nor toil. But even Solomon in all of his beauty wasn't arrayed like one of these beautiful flowers. Are you not much more valuable than the grass? The maker who made you cares about you. If, of course, if the God who made the universe made this thinking, feeling, laboring, beautiful being, it makes no sense for him to care nothing for the safety and provision of that creation. He's our maker. He is our defender. The psalmist tells us that God defends his people in at least three ways. In accidents, verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. God Going back to this journey motif in the Israelite moving to the holy city, they step on these rocks on these, this ascent. Dangerous. What if you hit some loose rocks? What if you fall on a treacherous path? What if you are buried by falling rocks? What if something happens to you? Now, we think accidents happen. We're going to talk about this in a moment, that that this psalm perhaps makes us feel like, is this even true? So just bear with me for, for a moment. But see this. From the human perspective, of course, accidents do happen. But God is the God of all creation. He is not surprised by accidents. He will not let your foot be moved beyond what he wants to do. He, he has control over you. Accidents don't happen from God's perspective. The second vulnerability that he defends against is sleep. Look at verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber 
nor sleep. Sleep is very vulnerable. Sleep is a miniature death. The scriptures talk about it as a death. When we go to sleep, in other words, we do nothing actively to make it happen, and we do nothing actively to make it unhappen. We're just there at the the will of something else to revive us, to resurrect us, we might say, to bring us back into life. So we're totally vulnerable. It makes total sense for an army then to have keepers of the watch, guards, who keep Israel, someone to stay awake, to protect from enemies and death, to protect against the vulnerabilities of sleep. Well, we're not in an army. Is my soul protected by anyone? Yes, the God who is watching over you, who keeps you as a guard does the army, does not sleep. And here there's a direct contradiction to the other gods that were often worshipped in this culture, who were often pictured as falling asleep. There's a Sumerian, that's a, an ancient peoples that were before Israel, and there's a myth of the god Enki, who couldn't do any labor because he lay on his bed asleep. We have records of this. There's an Egyptian text about the the sun god Ra. And it says this, Where is he today? Is he asleep? Behold, his power is not seen today. Some of you will remember the story in the Old Testament of Elijah the prophet, who called down fire from heaven in a contest with the worshipers of Baal, this other god. And the worshipers of Baal danced and cut themselves, but the fire did not descend. And one of the taunts that Elijah has for these worshipers of Baal who are failing, he says, is perhaps Baal asleep? This is one of the ancient explanations for hardship, and it actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it. If something bad is happening, why not just believe that the gods have checked out for a few minutes? Then, then we might have some kind of control, but maybe we can wake them up. Maybe we can do something to please them. Maybe we can get their attention back again, and then they will show favor to us again. If you think about it, it is a way to deal with the hardship of life. Perhaps God is sleeping. Now, we have a problem to discuss because... God is not asleep in our hardship, and that brings up a very real challenge to us in our faith, because why then does he allow this suffering to happen, this distress to come? But it is not because he is asleep or has checked out. He does not slumber or sleep. He is present in our distress. He is present and the vulnerability of accidents and sleep and also hardship. Look at verse 5 with me. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Sunstroke and moonstroke. These physical pictures, the physical realities, of course, of living in a desert. The harsh sunshine. And you picture the hand holding up a shade against the sunshine. Shade is often used in Scripture as a picture of relief. We are to rest in the shadow or the shade of, God, of the Almighty, Psalm 91. We're to hide in the shadow of God's wings, Psalm 17. 
Isaiah 51 tells us that we are covered by the shade of God's hand. And so God is a picture here like we hold up our hand against the heat of hardship. God then is the picture of the shade and the relief that comes from doing that. What about the moon? The moon shall not strike us by night. Just like in our culture, the ancient culture associated the moon with emotions, feelings of despair, craziness. We have the word lunacy related to the word lunar. They had this moonstroke idea as well. Just like we might associate our unhealth, our mental unhealth, our, our emotional unhealth, they had this category as well. And of course, when he talks about this, like throughout, this is, not, this is a metaphor for the journey. So he's not just talking about the physical damage of the sun and the moon. It's the heat of hardship. It's the moonstroke of distress. The things that make us unwell, the things that make us despair, the things that cause us to stay up at night. And he says God is the defender against those things. He is our maker, our defender. He is our redeemer. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now, I've probably gone on long enough without addressing this. How can we realistically come to this psalm and the promises that it seems to make to us. Is this unrealistic? I know some of you have felt that. God doesn't let our foot be moved. I feel like my foot's been moved a couple of times. Why? Sunstroke, moonstroke, I have experienced those things, and I don't always find the shade of the Almighty. He will keep me from all evil? Can this be true? What is the meaning of this? Clearly, the Scriptures do not teach, as we looked at last week, we said that faith is found in distress. Clearly, the Bible doesn't teach that we never experience hardship. In fact, it promises many, many times over in multiple ways the exact opposite when we encounter various trials and tribulations. Almost on every single page of the Bible is the description of the cost of following God and the pain and the suffering and the pruning that comes from being in a world that is set against Him. Eugene Peterson, a great pastor, says about this psalm, the promise of the psalm, and both Hebrew and Christians have always read it this way, is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. Do you see what he's saying? It's not that we don't experience distress. It's that in our distress, God is working now, there's still a mystery there. There's still a struggle there. Why does he allow certain things to happen? This is a question that has gone on for millennia. There are some good, reasoned, well you know, thought out answers that help us. But at the end of the day, it's a mystery to, to live in this place of why does God delay in not bringing an end to suffering? But the point is this. All pain is used by God. All pain is used by God. He has 
purposes in it. So every bit of distress that we feel, that too, as well as the good things and the gifts and the gratitudes that it gives us, is also held by him. And so you can trust him even when and especially when you don't understand He is the Redeemer. He keeps us from evil and gives us life. He has always done this, and He does it most fully through a Redeemer who keeps our life and keeps us from all evil. We are talking about the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, who above time in God's purposes gives us life and keeps us from evil. He is the Redeemer. And the way that God keeps us from evil and gives us life is through union with His beloved Son. And so often, maybe today even, I will end this service with a benediction from Jude. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Now to him who is able to keep you, and then we see you later, through Jesus Christ. That is how God fulfills this promise to us, this seemingly unbelievable good news that we will be kept from all evil and that we will have life in him. It is found in Jesus God keeps us in Christ. At no point is evil able to penetrate your heart, your story, your standing before God. Because you are kept in His beloved. You are in Christ. And so the Scripture says nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is no way for it to win. Because you have a maker and you have a defender and you have a redeemer. Finally, in closing, you have a friend. Look at verse 8. The Lord will keep you. You're going out, keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The language here is of companionship. You're going out and you're coming in this day. This is the day where God keeps you. And so it's very comforting at the close here to see that, yes, God is the maker. Yes, God is the defender, this God who never sleeps, who keeps us on the path that he wants us on, even through distress and trial. He is the redeemer. He had a story over all creation that he put into effect and accomplished in his son. And this God who did all of these big sweeping things cares about you coming out and going in. He cares about your life, your problems, your longings, your tiredness, your family, your inability to get things together. He is the God who is with you. Jesus says, I've called you friends. Moses was called the friend of God who companioned with God as God cared for him. The God of all history is also the God of your Monday. 
And the God who sent his son into the world also numbers your hair on your head and clothes and feeds and cares for you and listens to your heart. In Christ, you are kept. And really, the journey of of life, the journey of faith toward Mount Zion is really just slowly realizing and unpacking just how kept you are. There's a great movie uh, called Lady Bird. I don't know if you've seen that. It came out a few years ago. It's a coming-of-age story about this rebellious teenager who wants nothing more than to leave her family and leave the small town behind, and she just wants to go off and go to a big city and, and study and be away from everything that she's ever known, and that's just her one desire. And in her rebellion, she calls herself Lady Bird, which is not her name. But that's what she says, my name is Lady Bird. And at one point, someone asks her, is that your given name? And she says, it's the name I gave myself. So yes, it's my given name. I am the keeper. I am the one who will figure out my life. I know exactly who I am. So eventually she gets what she wants and she's able to move away from the city from the small town to the city. And, and she gets emotional as she leaves and she's looking through all the intersections and all the old buildings that she knows. She leaves her family and she comes to this new place. And she's very emotional and she calls and leaves a message for her mom. This is the end of the movie. And she says, hey mom, this is Christine. The name you gave me. It's a good name. And she talks about leaving the town and remembering all the all the things that were there. And she's remembering the life that her parents gave her. And realizing that that was the scaffolding. That was the, that was the way that she was preserved. It's like she's realizing, I have been kept. I didn't even know how kept I was, even though I didn't understand what my parents were doing all the time. Even though my town seemed small and boring I couldn't understand why I needed to be there. But now, with some distance, I'm able to see that I was being kept the whole time. It's the same thing with the story of our life with God. That's why the psalmist presents the question and then the conclusion right away. Where does my help come? I know it comes from the Lord. That's a a lived-in reality. That's a perspective that has seen some distance. And you may be just in the first part of that question. Where does help come from? I don't feel like I'm helped right now. But the Christian journey is about discovering you know, more and more. And, and especially as we end our lives and we go into eternity just seeing with greater and greater clarity just how kept and how guarded and how protected we were this whole time. Just like my son has no idea how protected he is. And maybe it'll take 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. Maybe when he has kids. But one day there might be a phone call to say, thank you, I'm just now realizing what you did for me. And that is what it's like waking up in faith to see more and more, yes, I've had so much hardship, but when I look back and I see God has preserved me through every single bit of it. I have been kept. If you are in Christ, you are 
a beloved son of God, a beloved daughter of God, wake up and realize that the God who made the world and defends us and sent his son is the God who cares for us. And there is nothing that can separate us from his love or protection. Let's pray. Thank you that you have not fallen asleep on us, that you have not checked out and waited for us to be loud enough or obedient enough or good enough to get your attention again. Father, you are the God who runs after the prodigal, that even as we don't want to be kept, you pursue us still. And you were ready with open arms to receive your sons and daughters. I pray that you would give us the perspective of the psalmist. You would help us to close some of these loops, these desires for help, which are real desires that you know. But I pray, Father, that you would help us to see that our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth in our vulnerabilities, in our insecurities, in our desires and longings. Would you be near to us and give us your help? In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.